Well, I want to begin today with a vocabulary lesson. And the word I'd like to define is credible. Dictionary.com defines credible as meaning capable of being believed, believable, worthy of belief or confidence, trustworthy. This week, that word has been tossed around the airwaves and digital footprints as the most common of words. Our nation has zeroed in on an historic confirmation process of a Supreme Court justice. Most everyone is listening and watching and trying to decide who is credible, who is worthy to be believed, who can we be confident in. Well, I was excited to have the opportunity to teach today because in God's providence, not only did I get the lesson with only two chapters to cover, (laughs) I have been accused of manipulating that. I did not, but I get to teach about one of my very favorite subjects, and that's the authority of God's word. In these chapters, we see that even the Israelites had a credibility problem. How many of you were gripped by the happenings in the Senate Judicial Chamber last week? I was. For the past few weeks, I've been engaged in deep political discussions with one of my dear friends. She is a believer, but she's had some different political convictions. From They differ from mine, and they differ significantly. And we've talked about a lot of things over the past few years. But I have to say that these have been the most challenging discussions that we've had. While I am interested in politics, always have been, I'm often not paying close enough attention to really know the details of what's going on. But that was no longer an option when my dear friend was in pain from something that I thought was an inherent good. So I had to dig in. What would normally be considered bad C-SPAN coverage suddenly took on the dramatic plot of a reality TV show. Apparently, in July, Chris Matthews said that the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh would be like a Spanish civil war, and it seems that he was more right than wrong. Documents have been submitted, meetings held, facts presented, stories told, but the perceptions of our hearers couldn't be more different. The divide between our two-party political system seems to separate the country like the Pacific Ocean separates California from Russia. Each of us or more importantly, our senators must decide where credibility lies, and quite frankly, truth, or the evidence of it at least, is on the line. Which begs the questions, how do we discern the truth? Where do we turn? Well, we as believers must turn to Scripture, and only the people who believe that Scripture alone holds the truth. I do hope this lesson's not too confusing or twisty today. It's I got some historical lessons, some asides, and then some practical application, and I wouldn't say that that's my strength in the least, but we'll try to pull out as much truth as we can in 15 minutes. But so far in our study of Deuteronomy, the message of Deuteronomy is becoming quite clear. God had chosen a people and was giving them a land so that they could set up a theocratic nation that would be holy, blameless, and would point to the creator God, Yahweh. Having been enslaved for 400 years, they had no framework to do that. In fact, Israel had begun, only, had begun with only one family, Jacob and his sons, which had first been guests of the Pharaoh of Egypt and then brutally enslaved. This was the very first time these people had been given the task of creating a government of any kind, much less a sovereign nation. 
They needed to know everything on how to live, how to govern, and how to worship. Let's imagine for a moment being a Deuteronomy 18 Israelite. Here they are, ready to enter the promised land. It is to be their final destination. The great gift of land, possession, permanence, and prosperity is is within their grasp. They were likely very anxious, excited, and fearful. They were facing the fact that they would be entering the promised land without the earthly leader they had been following for the last 40 years. Moses was not going with them. He had disobeyed God and was giving the final instructions that he was permitted to give. And God had been very instructive to the Israelites through his prophet Moses. His way for their lives had been laid out, and it was clear, comprehensive, and absolutely good. Every one of his instructions was based upon their understanding of who God was and how their lives related to him. In Exodus 20, 2 and 3, we read, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the very first of the Ten Commandments, and every instruction following it flows out of that one. There is one God. Worship nothing else. In Deuteronomy 18, 16, and 17, our passage that we studied this week, it says, Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. These verses seem to kind of stand out in the middle of a different of this passage. I kind of had a hard time following that part. But Moses here is referring to an assembly day at Mount Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai. And believe it or not, it's the very time that the Israelites were given the Ten Commandments. As you know, God called Moses up the mountain to give him the commandments. However, Exodus 19 records God's care for all of the people. He knew that if the people drew near to him in his holy estate without his call, they would perish. Moses was their buffer, their mediator. Then in Exodus 20, Moses receives the commandments. And if you have a Bible or your phone, maybe you want to turn to Exodus 20 with me. So I'll give you just a second to find that. All right, we're going to read the passage. We're going to read Exodus 20, 18 through 20, 21, which we're referring to in Deuteronomy 18. And it says there, Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. God appeared to Moses in a storm, a storm with a trumpet and smoke. The people could see the evidence and they were afraid, which was the right response. But the reason this is important to our Deuteronomy passage was because the people still needed God. They needed his instruction. They needed his lead. 
What would happen when Moses was no longer with them? What if they needed further instruction or clarity or judgment? Would God raise up other prophets and mediators to communicate further wisdom from God? Who would protect them from the tremendous power that they witnessed at Mount Sinai? They really needed to know. And of course, God had a plan for that as well. God knew the power and deception of the sinful human nature and knew that though he had given them clear instructions through Moses, they would not be able to obey it perfectly for long. Truthfully, they never fully obeyed his law. And in his graciousness, his plan included more prophets to come along the way. Moses assures the people that God will indeed raise up other prophets like Moses for them. So let's stop right there for a moment, and we're going to define another word. What exactly is a prophet? Our definition of a prophet is very important. Moses tells us right here in this Deuteronomy passage. According to verse 18, we know that a prophet would meet these requirements. First, they would be someone chosen and raised up by God. Secondly, he will come from among them. Third, God will put his own words in the prophet's mouth. And fourth, he will obediently speak them to God's people. Many people confusedly believe that a prophet predicts the future. That is not true. A prophet is one who has been chosen by God to deliver the words of God faithfully to God's people. Sometimes prophets are referred to as the very mouthpiece of God, and we can see why. We would recognize many of the biblical prophets that came post-Moses. We have two whole sections of the Bible devoted to their work. The major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and the minor prophets like Haggai and Malachi. These prophets faithfully, obediently spoke the word of God to the people of God. They instructed and warned and called them to repentance. In the Old Testament, God did continue to use prophets to reveal more of himself, especially all the prophecies foretelling Christ. Let's look now at verse 21 of our Deuteronomy passage. This passage interestingly points out a problem that was maybe as common for them as it is for us today. Verse 21 says, And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the Lord has not spoken? If you notice, that's actually a negative question. How will we know what what word is not yours? It sounds like to me they had some experience with people claiming to speak for the Lord when they were not called as Moses was. In fact, we know they did. If you remember, maybe you were studying uh, Numbers with us this summer, we look back at Numbers 12, uh, Aaron and Miriam, the brother and sister of Moses, had done just that. They had spoken out against Moses and had claimed to speak for the Lord as Moses did. That was not true, and God did not care for that. In Numbers 12, he strikes Miriam with leprosy for a time. So maybe that is where the question of credibility comes in. If anyone could have been seen as credible, certainly it would have been Moses' own brother and sister who had been with him from the very beginning. They needed to know who was credible, who was able to be believed. So if someone claimed to come and speak in the name of the Lord, the Israelites were instructed to listen, examine if they met all of the requirements of a prophet, and then wait to see if what they said came to pass, as it says in verse 22. In fact, we know who Moses is ultimately referring to. 
the prophet that Israel was waiting for was Jesus Christ. It wasn't Isaiah. It wasn't John the Baptist. It was Jesus. And God graciously told them back in Deuteronomy exactly what to look for and how to measure if someone who claimed to be a prophet of the Lord was true and sincere. Those requirements that God laid out, Jesus met all of them. The Old Testament prophets that followed Moses spoke the revealed word of God to God's people and warned them to repent and obey. Those messages offered promises of forgiveness for repentance and judgment for failure to repent. Jesus brought the word of God to the people, but so much more. Jesus was the prophet, but he was also prophet, priest, and king combined. In Matthew 5, 17, we read the words, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have, come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. And Jesus did just that. He accomplished the law on our behalf, bringing to completion the ceremonial law that had been laid out for that theocratic nation of Israel. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And with Christ and the early church, the revelation of God's word was complete. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, the principles that we learn here for the Israelites are still true for us. We still have prophets today. Romans and 1 Corinthians mention the gift of prop, the gifts of prophecy that God still gives to the church. If we remember that a prophet was one who met certain requirements, number one, they would be raised up and called by God. Number two, they would come from among them. For us, we would see evidence of God's work of salvation in their lives. Number three, they would speak the word of God. Thus, scripture and what is consistent with scripture. And fourth, they would be obedient to speak God's word to God's people. We can see that these requirements are applicable not only to just God's people in the biblical era, but to the church today. Notice something that is not a requirement for a prophet, new revelation. As contemporary Christians, we believe that God's word is complete and therefore we are not looking for any new revelation. We are not waiting for a new word from the Lord. Everything that God wanted us to know about him, about ourselves, and about how we are to live is right here in his revealed, inerrant, infallible word of God. However, this should stand out to us. It's a problem. It's a problem in our culture and our world today, and it really has been a problem for all of history. People who claim to know and love Jesus, often representing the church, claim that there is a new way to understand, interpret, and live out scripture for our life. Not so fast. 1 Peter 2.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. All things that pertain to life and godliness. There is nothing new under the sun, as we read in Ecclesiastes. He has revealed it all. But we are still bombarded with the new, and we must be careful. We have the word of God, so we can measure all things that we hear against the new. 
we need to ask, does it originate from the word of God? Is it consistent with the law and the prophets? Ladies, how many of you have been deceived by a false prophecy these days? How many of us have stumbled onto a blog that warmed our heart and tugged at all the feels? At first you thought, here is the kindred spirit, a beloved sister brought near through the pages of a book or a quick-witted tweet. So much of it was true, or at least sounded true, and then we only watched that person grow into someone who cared maybe more for their own glory than God's and more for their friend's feelings than the truth. Or maybe it was your pastor. Maybe you drank in the words and activities of your church in name of community and belonging, only to see the compromises come one by one in the name of keeping seats in the pews. I bet many of us have experienced these. We have seen it over and over again. And we know right now in our culture that the LGBTQ movement and modern feminism have taken the world by storm and are holding our churches hostage in the name of kindness and graciousness. Many men and women today no longer value the truth. They no longer hold the Bible with tender hands that denote the sacredness of its contents. They have exchanged the precious boundaries of the law for the deceitfulness of human feeling. Our culture, our politics, and many of our churches are driven by how it makes us feel rather than what leads us to repentance. But look at what the Lord has to say about our feelings. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So it would seem that God has declared our heart alone to not be very credible. In my job, this is my passion. I believe, it with all, I believe with all of my heart that God's word is for women just as equally as it is for men. It would be inconsistent with scripture for a woman to lead men under the authority of God's word. So don't hear me say that. But I do believe that women can be theologians as well as men. And I desire that for each and every one of you. That is why we study God's word the way that we do, bit by bit by bit, so that we can know the truth clearly and be empowered to live lives transformed by the word of God. But we are instructed in, first, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. From experience, I can testify that that exercise is rarely consistent with my feelings. I do look for solid women in the greater church who can lead us. I desire to bring women in to speak the word of truth to us and be women that we want to emulate. Sadly, more often than not, many of these likable women turn out to be incredible prophets, not credible ones. But we are not to fear. We have been given all the church celebrity that we need. Who is better than Jesus? Listen to these verses from John 1. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 9, The true light, which enlightens everyone. Sadly, the majority of the Israelites never believed that Jesus was the prophet that God had promised. Sadly, many today do not see that their insistence to remove the word of truth from their lives and from their culture will only result in more confusion and chaos. As I watched the hearing last week, I watched the protesting women on TV. You can see the anger and the outrage that creases their brows and contorts their countenance. 
They are locked in a state of confusion, sadness, and pain, and I am sorry for them. And while we may be confused about which sinner to believe on C-SPAN, I do know that Christ offers more. John 8, 31 and 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Is there or will there ever be a time in my life that I could be more grateful to have studied the law? How many people thought we were just plain crazy when we took on Leviticus? Even Jimmy was talking about it the other day, saying no one on earth studies Leviticus except for us. (laughs) To know the will of God, his way, his intentions, his plan, his boundaries for worship and life, through that... The chaos is made straight and the confusion is lifted. Let's pray. Dear Father, it is a privilege to study your word. And Lord, the law is life to us, Father. It shows us where your values are, where your boundaries are. Lord, help us to love it. Father, we praise you that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law on our behalf, for we never could have done it on our own, just like the Israelites in the Old Testament. Father, we need enlightenment. We need truth. Our world needs it, Lord. Help us to bring it to your people. Help us to bring it to the world in graciousness and kindness and in compassion for the pain that they're experiencing, Lord. May, may we not be bound up in the chaos and grief of confusion. We trust and pray and ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.